Now, Tylene was asking me what kind of stress test, and uh, they put me on the treadmill. Uh, I got to run the race with endurance. It's biblical, I guess. But <laughs> Dr. Hogan did one on me one time, and I did fine while I was on the treadmill. It was when I stepped off, I almost passed out. The guy doing the monitor goes, catch him. <laughs> I didn't know anything was wrong, and about the time he said that, I will. So, well, now I know what it feels like to die, so we got that over with. So, Okay, uh, we're going to look at another psalm tonight, Psalm 141. Psalm 141. This is a psalm of David, and um, it's uh, kind of a shorter one than we do, but um, we're going to talk about learning to pray as David prayed. Uh, prayer seems to be the missing link or the weak link in so many believers' lives. It's, it's just hard, and it's hard to get it right, and it's hard to really feel good about it. I mean, if, if I could pray, uh, dear Lord, I want a million dollars, and poof, it came in front of me, I'd probably be motivated to pray. But so many times when we pray, we're praying about things where we are not going to see instantaneous results. We're praying about protect somebody. We're praying about deliver somebody. We're praying about nations, and we're praying about missions, and we're praying about, you know, a lot of things that come up that we don't always see the answers to right away. There's some that we won't see until we get to heaven. And uh, so if you want to have gold and silver and precious stones at the judgment seat of Christ to lay at the feet of Jesus, then you need to be praying about those things. And God will be doing exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. But uh, in the meantime, uh, we, we look at this and we need some examples uh, to kind of follow when we pray. Because um, all of us know that we, when we're talking to somebody, prayer is just simply talking to God. But sometimes I find that as I grow and I hunger and yearn for a deeper relationship with God, that's too simplistic of an answer. I want to say the right things. I want to be lined up with God. And so I think part of the problem is we think that prayer is we're going to uh, claim and demand and command and all of that so that God kind of goes, okay, okay, I give up. I'll, I'll go with you. And there are some stories that uh, parables like the woman with the unjust judge, it kind of leans us uh, to that direction as if God is not really wanting to answer our prayer, but if we will just force him to. And um, I don't think that's the overarching biblical teaching. I think what Jesus is saying on that is just be persistent in your prayer as if you were going before you know, a reluctant judge. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the heart of God as you look through uh, the Bible. In fact, Martin Luther said, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of His willingness. Okay, well then there's a problem. Because if I'm laying hold of the willingness of God, it means I have to meet God where He is. So many times I'm trying to get God to meet me where I am and do what I want Him to do and what I think I need when it seems to be much more biblical that I surrender myself to God and He moves me where He wants me to be so that I match up with Him and match up with His will and His desires and then you've got something going. But that's a hard place to get to. Our hearts 
Jeremiah said, remember, uh, we don't even know our hearts, and they're deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it, he said. And so I try to come before God and pour my heart out to him, and uh, I may be faking it, I may be fooling myself, or I may just be wrong because our hearts can be deceitful. So prayer is going to do something for us, lining us up with the heart of God through the confession of sin and through the things that we uh, lay out that we think we need or maybe actually do need. The Lord knows, and that's the good thing. He knows our needs even before we ask, the Bible says. And so uh, it, it's a, a matter of, of lining up with Him. But in this psalm, I saw a few other things that I think are missing I don't mean to be judgmental, but I listen to people pray. And some of the things that David mentions in this psalm, I don't hear very often. It seems like prayer is a very casual, spur of the moment, legalistic sometimes. I mean, why is it that you have a a need in your life at one point that you never pray about? but you wouldn't dare skip a prayer before a meal. Do I think it's good to pray before meals? Yes, I do. But that can become ritualistic and legalistic. And then these times when you're really in the thick of the battle, you try to handle it on your own. Why don't you think to pray then? Uh, it's kind of hard. We just, we're just as fallen creatures. We get this wrong so many times. And so we need some patterns and we need to do some learning. So I want to just kind of challenge you to look at these things and just kind of ask the question, when do these things show up in my prayer life? Now, they probably do. They probably do. But I'm going to make a very judgmental statement. Okay? If I'm wrong, forgive me. But for most of us, they're going to be rare. They're going to be rare. They shouldn't be, but they're going to be. So think about this. I had a pastor one time he didn't know a whole lot and he talked about uh, quoting the great English preacher Charles Hatless Virgin and it's like it's not Hatless it's Haddon and uh, but I'm going to quote Charles Hatless Virgin here and uh, it says prayer is the great engine to overthrow and rout my spiritual enemies the great means to procure the graces of which I stand in hourly need. Sounds like a hymn. I need thee every hour. Okay? I don't just need thee to make sure my food doesn't poison me or something like that. Uh, Tim Hawkins has a great thing where he talks about prayer. And he said, oh Lord, bless this Cheeto. Change the molecular structure of the Cheeto into a carrot. Make this be good and beneficial for me. Okay. You know, take this Twinkie and make it into something healthy or something, you know. And we pray things, uh, you know, before our meals. What are we really praying? And, you know, we get cliches and all of that kind of thing. Spurgeon said, talked about the grace of God that he needed every hour. And I just don't feel that like I should. Now, you put me in the right situation, and I can cry out to God. 
I'm thinking, especially when my kids were small, if one of them had been injured or like run over by a car or something like that, and I'm holding them and thinking, what do we need to do? Uh, I think at that moment, I would recognize my desperate need for God. Amen? Yeah, but right now, I'm okay. Life's good. I'm, you know, mobile, standing up, thinking, Seeing all those kind of things. So, you know, I'm okay. And my need right now is every bit as desperate as it would be if I were holding my wounded child. The problem is I don't really get that or see that. And that's what that hymn is trying to get across to us. I need the every hour, right? Enjoy your pain. All of those kind of things. You need the Lord. You cannot survive without the Lord. You, you, uh, in Him we live and breathe and live and move and have our being Paul said. Uh, So we don't understand that. We forget about that. And so God has brilliantly and sovereignly and, might I add, lovingly designed situations, storms, and uh, and leads us to those places. And part of the gift of the storm, the gift of the trial, is to show you how much you need Him and how great He is to meet you at the point of your need and to minister to you and to meet that need. Sometimes he does it with a miracle. I'm afraid sometimes in this day and age we've forgotten that God still works miracles and we don't expect a whole lot to happen and we don't really pray for much to happen and there's not a whole lot of faith when we pray or anything like that. Granted. But there are a lot of times that we also understand that God will help us, minister to us, preserve us, in times when the enemy is trying to kill us and we don't even know it. We don't even recognize it. Um, I wonder how many times that just it was kind of a weird thing. You were getting ready to make a left-hand turn. Everything looked clear and you took one more look and you hit your brakes because there was a car coming too fast that you didn't see. And I wonder how many times we go, whew, that was lucky. Maybe it was your guardian angel tapping you on the shoulder and saying, "Uh uh-uh, not now. It was the sovereign act of God to keep you from getting into something like that. How many times does that happen and we don't even stop to say thank you? We don't even really give it a second thought. In fact, we even take credit for it. Boy, my reflexes are good. Boy, it's a good thing I looked again or anything. And we never know what the backstory is, what the enemy was trying to do and what the Holy Spirit and ministering angels did at that particular moment. I wonder how many times that happens. I wonder how many times we have simply prayed, dear Lord, protect me in my health. And inside of your body at that particular time, something was happening that you didn't know and doctors couldn't even see. And the Lord said, stop it. It's not his time yet. Stop it. This will keep him from doing what I've ordained for him to do. And you were healed at that moment and you didn't even know it. Don't you wonder when we get before the Lord and our lives are evaluated, how many times God answered a prayer that we didn't even know he answered? How many times we asked for something that God did and we didn't give him praise or glory? And I think that's one of the things when our lives are appraised and reviewed at the judgment seat, the Bema seat judgment, uh, the gold, silver, precious stones, I think something that's going to be revealed there is the glory and the grace and the providence and the protection and the miracle-working power of God in our lives from our salvation all the way through till He brought us home that we didn't even... We, I, I didn't know you did that. didn't know you did that. And finally, He'll get the glory and the praise 
and the honor that he deserves, right? And I look forward to that day. I think about when uh, Spurgeon mentioned this thing about needing the Lord every hour. I wonder why it takes panic before we pray fervently. I wonder why it takes a crisis before we pray fervently. And I think it's because there are some things we don't really see or feel or understand as we ought to. And I think all of us recognize that deficit, right? Uh, because I'm not, uh, not excluding myself from that. I'm just thinking that's the human condition. All is well, you know? And so why do I need to pray? Why do I need to pray with any sense of desperation? And um, boy, that can change in a heartbeat, can it? So that's what Spurgeon had to say. Someone else said, No Christian's ministry or life will advance any further than his prayers. There is no greater need than to pray. Well, if that's true, we're sunk. If that's true, if that's true, your ministry won't advance any further than your prayers. We need to repent. And we need to also go, okay, that explains a lot. Explains a lot. Why am I not growing in the Lord? Why am I not advancing? Why am I not winning victories? Why do I not seem to have power in, in uh, my life and ministry and all of that? Well, that would explain a lot of it, wouldn't it? It's not advancing any further than our prayers. So casual, short um, prayers that don't really mean a whole lot. Clichéd prayers. Um, you know, if I think about it, I might pray, but, you know, I can live without it and everything seemed to go okay. That's probably how your ministry is going to go. And that's probably how your uh, teaching of your children is going to go. That's probably how your Sunday school class is going to go. That's probably how the ministry of the church is going to go. And so this is something that is on my heart to kind of ask you, let's step it up. A little bit. Let's take some baby steps at least into the direction that we instinctively know as believers that we ought to have in our prayer lives. Spending time with God, trusting God, believing God, asking God, praying to God. So here's Psalm 141. Here's what David says. And we don't know the background on this. It's not like some of the other ones. Uh, we have no idea. Uh, it's entitled, Give Ear to My Voice in My Bible, a Psalm of David. And then he starts out, O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. Notice that exclamation point. This is not a casual prayer. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It is kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges, their rulers, are thrown over the cliff, in other words, they fall, they die, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall 
our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol, or the grave. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. I was looking at that and I thought about how uh, we talked about last week there's a militant defiance in Christianity toward the kingdoms of this world and toward the unseen enemy and all of that that we've kind of lost. We've forgotten how to be onward Christian soldiers. We're just kind of nice people that hope that everybody likes us and then they'll, they'll trust Jesus because they like us so much. It's never been the case and it will never be the case. We are in a war. We are in a battle. And every time you witness to somebody, I can promise you, you entered into the battle. That's why it's so hard. And when you try to serve and when you try to minister and you try to do it to the glory of God, you are in a battle and the king of the prince of this age, of this world, is battling you for dominance. The early Christians were forced with the, is Jesus Lord or is Caesar Lord? And if they said Jesus is Lord, they could lose their heads. And yet everything they did, their gatherings, their singing, their preaching, taking the Lord's Supper, all of those kind of things were proclaiming there is a higher king than Nero, than Caesar. And it was a defiant type thing. And they were marching on. And uh, they were a part of the fall of the Roman Empire. And yet they had no political power, very little money. And uh, they weren't large in number comparatively. But Rome couldn't stand up to the prayers and to the worship of the people. It broke down Roman society. And so uh, as you think about that, what kind of an impact are we having on this wicked, rotting culture where the foundations of America are so fractured and we are so far off from what our founders intended, much less from what the Bible says ought to be going on, right? And yet, very few people seem to be very desperate about that. Very few people seem to be going to war in their prayers about these kind of things. We see addiction around with people. What about this opioid crisis? Have you wept over that? Have you been praying consistently for that? I don't even think of it most of the time because I'm not and I don't really know anybody who is. At least I don't know that I know anybody who is. And yet they're telling us it's a crisis. Should that not affect the way we think and the way we feel? And so many times it's like if it's not touching me and it's not touching my family, then it's not really a big deal. And yet the truth is it is really a big deal. And the enemy is doing so many things that we're not even countering, we're not even thinking about. And so we need to kind of wake up and we need to realize our desperation before the Lord. Not just at the crisis points, but in every situation uh, in which we live. Our world and our families, our culture, all of those kind of things are falling apart and people are getting hurt and lives are being ruined and God is being dishonored and the blood of Jesus is being trampled on and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going, oh well, 
Because that's the way it is. And we're not really taking up arms against any of that. We're not hearing the sound of the, of the bugle. And uh, maybe it's because in this day and age, there's not a clear sound. We don't even know what a Christian is anymore. We don't really know what the gospel is anymore. We don't really know what the Bible says anymore. We have bumper sticker Christianity and Facebook meme Christianity. And we go, oh, well, that, that sounds good. That, and it may be as unbiblical as it can be, but it sounds good and it feels good. And so we question a lot of things or we downplay a lot of things. And I am really to the point where I'm wondering... How many people who claim to be Bible-believing conservative Christians really believe in hell? Because I find myself thinking about it, and I do the same thing probably you do. It is overwhelming to think about hell. And I'd rather not think about it. And yet people are going there. And the Bible says it is real. Jesus says it's an eternal hell, not just a, you know, a place where you go for a few minutes and then you're gone you're done it's not an annihilation it's a forever thing would that really change us if we could really grasp that people are dying and going to hell if we could also see what god saved us from i mean i got a feeling if you were able to look over into the abyss and see the fires of hell and hear the screams and you were to realize that's where you were headed except for the grace of God. He rescued you. He chose you. He pulled you out. He drew you unto himself. He paid for your sins on the cross. And you really realize that's where you were going. I think it would make you more grateful to God. I don't think you'd have any problem singing. I don't think you'd have any problem praying. I don't think you'd have any... I mean, it would solve a lot of problems. But we forget where God found us and we forget what he saved us from. And we don't really see the sense of desperation that David had. As you look back through the verses, there are several things that are um, kind of interesting in his prayer and in his imagery. I don't know, again, what is happening here. But he's calling for the Lord. He said, hasten to me. That's a term of desperation, isn't it? And, uh, you know, hear me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. And then he said, I want my prayer to be the kind of thing to where when God hears my prayer, he goes, oh, that smells good. Isn't that what he said when he said, I want it to be like incense offered to you? One of the big rituals that the Jews would do, the evening sacrifices. David is saying, I want my prayer to smell sweet and I want it to be a big deal. I want it to be something that gets your attention. I want it to be something that you honor. I want it to be something that is pleasurable to you, like the incense and the evening sacrifices. Well, that's going to tell you something about what he is thinking. The prayer needs to be God-centered, doesn't it? It needs to be something that pleases the Lord. It's not simply about us venting or us trying to get our way. Or, and it, that leads to a lot of futility, a lot of futility. But for David to do that... Uh, that's meaning that he's wanting something out of, his, out of his prayer that is more than just the casual little ritual. And, uh, you know, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But um, he also goes on to say that um, I want correction. Let a righteous man strike me. Have you ever prayed anything like that? Sounds like a fist fight in church, doesn't it? Actually, what it is, is he's talking about whenever I'm doing wrong, I want a brother to tackle me. Whenever I'm heading in the wrong direction, I want somebody to get in my face 
And I want them to keep me from doing that. Even if they have to smack me. You ever prayed anything like that? And notice what David said. It's a kindness. Now, have you ever tried to correct a fellow believer? And what do you get most of the time? Pushback? Anger? Who are you to judge me? Most people don't see it as a kindness. Okay, if you've taken notes, write this down. The way you take a rebuke from a godly person shows the extent of your maturity. The way that you take a rebuke from a godly man, godly person, shows the extent of your maturity. See, David is speaking here as a mature believer who says, I want someone to speak into my life. I want someone to stop me. I want someone to get in my face. I want and I need that. David is very well aware of his situation. And that's exactly what he didn't get when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. No one spoke up. But that's exactly what he got with the prophet Nathan, who was taking his life into his own hands and saying to David, Thou art the man. That's pretty bold. That's pretty bold. And yet David took it as a kindness. It was Nathan's rebuke that caused David to get right with God. And so David is not saying, how dare he do that? He made me feel bad about myself. I saw a cartoon the other day, two football announcers are playing. They go, no, 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 he didn't get his knee hurt. Apparently his feelings are hurt. You know? And that's kind of the world we live in, hurt my feelings. You need to pray that somebody will hurt your feelings. You need to pray that somebody will be honest with you. Solomon said that profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Why? They're covering something up. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. You need to be wounded every once in a while. That's God's way of putting on the brakes. That's God's way of saving you from destruction and heartache and problem and trials. You need to welcome those kind of things in your life. But it's hard. You know how I know it's hard? Because I don't like it either. I wish I could get to be like David to where I would welcome those kind of things. I'm getting better. Are you getting better? I hope you're getting better. Where you want that input, where you relish that, where you realize a person who's honest with you really loves you. A person who tells you what you want to hear, a person who doesn't do anything at all, they don't really care that much about you. And so all of these kind of things, he said that it's a kindness, let him rebuke me, and that rebuke is like oil over my head. Okay, somebody pours oil over my head, I'm not sure what I'm thinking, probably going to be annoyed, but in David's day, that's what you did as an act of hospitality. You would wash their feet and you would anoint their head with oil. Doesn't mean a whole lot with us, you know, because we don't do that. That would be weird. But in David's day, that would be the equivalent of somebody honoring you. That would be the equivalent of somebody saying, you are worthy of any kindness that I could show. Really? You just rebuked the snot out of me. David said, that's the way it needs to be. They did me a kindness. They did me a favor. They showed that they cared. They showed that they loved me. And so many times we don't speak up to other people. And it's not because we, uh, you know, I just don't want them to feel bad or anything. No, come on, be honest. You don't want to pay the price of confrontation. And so you back off. 
David had a different view of all of that, did he? And um, so then he, then he starts praying against these things and talking about, I want the evil leaders, I want them to be thrown over a cliff so that they'll shut up because then people will hear my voice. It's as if David would say, I'm over here with my harp and I'm singing these psalms unto the Lord, but nobody can hear me because of all of the noise of the ungodly. And he's praying for God to shut them up. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were to pray and God were to answer and we said, oh Lord, there's so much noise today. And we live in a noisy world. Uh, it wasn't terribly long ago our electricity went out uh, for a, a, a little while. And uh, have you ever tried to go to bed with your electricity off? You know what? It's spooky. You know why? Because you don't hear the hum of the ceiling fan or any of the other things that are going on. Even when you've got everything shut off in your house, it's still quite noisy. And when it goes off, it's like, what happened? Um, I've had times in the past in our old house when the electricity went out in the night and it woke me up because it went out. And we didn't have anything on. The worst thing is, is when you go to bed after the electricity is off and you forgot that you left the lights on, and when it comes on at 3 in the morning, boom, it scares you to death, right? Uh, we live in a noisy world. David was saying, shut off the noise of the evildoers so that they can hear the truth. Do you have the boldness to think about that person that you work with that's always running their mouth with profanity, and perversion and just garbage to actually say, Lord, shut their mouth so that somebody can hear the truth. They're not hearing me because they're hearing all of this other kind of stuff. That's pretty bold. Shut off the people on the TV, the people on Facebook and Twitter and all of those kind of things because with all of that noise, even though it may be printed, it's still noisy. Nobody is hearing what you are saying, Lord. So many distractions. So many things pulling us away. Take them out of the way so that they hear me. We just don't pray much like that anymore. They would need to hear my words because they are pleasant. Now the next verse is kind of hard to interpret. As one who plows and breaks up the earth, that seems to be good. Uh, so shall our bones be scattered at the mouth of Sheol... And it seems to be saying, look, time is short. There's a harvest coming. Death is coming. And we don't know what the time frame is going to be. But I want to be productive in it. I want whatever time I have left, I want to plow some ground. And I want to understand that I may be closer to the mouth of the grave than I think I really am. You've heard the old saying, one foot in the grave and another on Banana peel, yeah, ah, going down into it. Um, yeah, we all are. We just don't know. We just don't know. And so all of these kind of things he's talking about, this whole psalm is actually a prayer. So let me just give you some uh, to understand. The main point of this, David's just basically saying, save me, stop them, and I have no other option, no other hope except for you. That's pretty concise, isn't it? Save me, stop them, and remind me that I have no other hope. That, that would radically change your life right there. If you really could grasp that like David did. David knew that. We don't always get that. David knew that. We don't always get that. And sometimes um, 
It helps if you watch the news and you hear about a car wreck today and then you stop and think, those people got up just like I did. Those people went to work like they've done probably a hundred times and then today they didn't come home. That could have been me. That could have been someone that I love. Life is very, very fragile and things can change very, very quickly. So we ought to be more thankful and we ought to be much more productive in our lives. So save me, stop them, and keep reminding me that I have no other hope but you. No other option except to turn to you. So um, I want to take probably about uh, oh, 10, 15 minutes and just give you some points. I want to break this psalm down. So what's the difference between David's praying and the way that we tend to pray? Okay, number one, I've kind of been saying this all night, we're not desperate. We're not desperate. David, you look at those verses, David is desperate. Okay, Number two... We are not seeing our depravity. I find it kind of interesting that David, while he is praying, a part of his prayer is set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, uh, we can see that. I've heard that verse, you know, a lot of times before with people praying it uh, like, don't let me cuss, don't let me ruin my testimony. You know what I think David's actually saying? Don't let me pray wrong. Set a guard on my lips so that I don't pray about a bunch of dumb stuff that you're not interested in and that you're not in. I want to line my heart up with you and I want my prayer to be right as I pray this to you. That's a pretty smart thing to pray. You know why David could say that? Because he recognized his depravity. We come before God and we come before God like he owes it to us to hear our prayer. I mean, Lord, I tithed. And, uh, you know, I talked to somebody about Jesus the other day, and I didn't honk at the guy that pulled that in front of me, and I did somebody else's work, and I, oh, I've been to church three times a week, and, um, you know, surely that makes me worthy to pray. No, it doesn't. Ron Dunn was talking about this one time, and he might have done it when he was preaching here. And he said that he was going before the Lord saying, Oh, Lord, I'm so unworthy. And he said, It's like the Holy Spirit tapped him on the shoulder and said, When did you ever think you were worthy? Our worthiness is Jesus. It's not us. And so David understood his depravity that you got to set a guard on my lips or I'm going to say things that are wrong. Even as I pray, keep a watch over the door of my lips and do not let my heart incline to either any evil or to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity, because I'm around them, and don't let me eat of their delicacies. Man, go over to India, and you sit in a little hotel room, and they bring the food out, and you go, oh, that smells horrible. I don't want to eat it. I'm so hungry. And then have a guy named Tommy Vinson, who's a pastor over in the Memphis area, come walking in with a big grin on his face and a bag. And you look at him and you go, Brother Tommy, what do you got? And he goes, found a bakery over there. I got donuts. You know what Isaac and I did? We left this stuff here. And we went sprinting across the street. Man, they were good. Man, they were good. And sometimes while you're eating and feeding on things, have you ever noticed that sometimes the word is so sweet? And other times it's not. There are some things the Lord says, it's hard. It's hard to get through. It's hard. And all it takes is while you're reading through those hard passages in Leviticus, know what I'm talking about? 
And the devil says, I got a donut. You know what happens? Sprint to the donut. We take of their delicacies. It seems so easy, so easy, so sweet, so good until you bite into it. That's what David says. Number three, we do not desire discipline. See, we've got it in our mind that discipline is always punishment. It's not. It's called training, training, making you better. Practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Not if you're practicing wrong. But if you've got a coach and the coach says, you're putting your weight in the wrong place on the wrong leg at the wrong time. Here, do this. And all of a sudden you hit the ball and it goes to the fence. You go, oh, thank you, coach. And you practice that. You make the corrections. You do it till it's natural. If you've been in the military, when you're getting ready to go into combat, they train you over and over and over and over and over and over till it's second nature. That's what they want. They don't want you to think about it. They want you to do it. If you're in the medical field, you know what that's like when there's a problem and, and somebody's you know, about to uh, go out. What do you do? Your training kicks in and you, you go for it and you help them. And that's what the Lord is doing. He is training you. And sometimes he trains you by letting you stumble, letting you fall, letting you reap the consequences of what you sow. I mean, it happens and you learn from that if you're wise. And then other times you read and you get instruction. Solomon said, a wise man learns by instruction. We get the instruction. We go, yes, sir, that's what I need to do. And we do that. Discipline is a part of that. Now, is there a corrective part of discipline? Yes, of course there is. That's why the coach told you to quit doing it that way. He wasn't trying to hurt your feelings or anything like that. He wants you to play better. He wants you to uh, do better. Why did the sergeant get up in your face? Because he wants you to be well-trained when you go to battle. Uh, you're doing it wrong. You're being a fool. You're dumb. Quit that. And they use a lot better language than that, I'm sure. And um, they want you to be at your best. And David said, I want to be disciplined. I'm not running from discipline. I want to be disciplined. I don't want to miss what you have for me in the discipline. I want to be corrected and I want to be well trained so that I am pleasing to you. We don't pray like that anymore. And number four, it's because we're not really dependent. And that whole last part of it talks about the evil in the world. And David, how do I stand against this? How do I counter that? How do I take care of these kind of things? I mean, I'm just little old David here. What in the world am I going to do about all of these things? Well, here's the deal. When you stand before a giant, you don't have a, a chance unless God's in it, right? When your son rises up in rebellion against you and drives you out of the kingdom and you're an older man now and your fighting is not what it used to be, you don't have a chance unless God gets in it. And over and over we see these kind of things. When Saul throws a spear at you, you don't have a chance because usually Saul hits what he's throwing a spear at, but God spared you. When you're on the run and living in caves and the whole government is after you, they got the FBI, the CIA, and all of that kind of stuff of Israel coming after you, the king himself is after you, that usually means you're a dead man unless God gets in it. And so in our lives, knowing that there's an enemy and we live in a wicked culture and a wicked world, we got to understand the only hope we have and the only way we're going to survive any of this is to know that we have to have dependence upon God. And one of the things that we're so bad about 
is we want to wait until we get in the crisis when the giant's coming after us and we say, okay, Lord, what do I do now? And the Lord said, I told you two hours ago to get some stones out of the brook. Okay, I'll do that now. Too late. Too late. And we're kind of wanting to put gas in the tank after we pass the gas station and we're in the middle of the desert. Or maybe we're in an airplane flying and then we look down and say, eh, I guess I should have gassed up before I took off. That gas back there in the station, that gas back there at the airport does you zero good right now. There's a lot of what God is doing in your life that is getting you ready for something. And that's why some people snooze through a sermon. I don't really need this. You're going to. You may not need it for five years, but you're going to need it. And you're going to be really happy you got it when it comes. When I would teach teenagers, I'd be teaching them about things that they weren't going to use for five or ten years. Why would I do that? Because they're going to need it. And they need it before they need it. They need to be filled with it before they need it. And that's the same thing that I found even as adults. We can be so busy just skipping along. What do I need that for? My life's doing good. And then all of a sudden you make a turn. And then, oh, what do I do now? How how come God's not training me and teaching me? And he goes, I did. It was the service you didn't want to go to. I did. It's the one you slept through. I did. It's that quiet time that you skipped. And we don't have that desperation, right? Going back to point number one, because we really don't see how dependent we are upon God's. And that's why the prophets could say, I ate your words and they were sweet. Read that sometimes ago. God was dealing with hardships. And the psalmist said, I mean, the, the prophet would say, Not if you understand how desperately we need God. When he does that, then you receive his discipline. When he does that, then you realize how dependent you actually are on God because you're a depraved sinner who is an absolute fool apart from God. God will make you wise. God will prepare you. God will see you through it. But those four things, think about those as you go home tonight. How often do those things enter into your prayer life? And then think about this. What would it take to get that? Because it happens. Sometimes it's a diagnosis. Sometimes it's a death. Sometimes it's a tragedy. Sometimes it's a layoff. Sometimes it's a divorce. I mean, God can get you there. How much better would it be for you to just go ahead and say, Here I am, Lord, as I am right now. Things are good. I want to get there. And I want to see my life as it really is before you. That changed your prayer life. And that's why David had power in his prayers and we don't. Okay? Let's pray. Father, as we consider these things, we ask you to be kind and gracious enough and patient enough with us to teach us these things and teach us these things now before we actually get into position to where we need them. We don't want to be like the soldier who encounters the Uh, enemy and then has to run back and go get his gun we don't want to be like barney fife i say where we get in ourselves in a in a pickle and now we're fumbling for our bullet we want to be trained and ready and well armed as we uh, encounter the trials and the problems of life and help us see that sometimes the good things of life are not really all they're cracked up to be they may be the delicacies of the wicked tempting us away from what is really true oh lord Please help us 
In Jesus' name, amen.